Hello everyone, so glad to be with you again today and uh, just praise the Lord for that opportunity. Well, the last time we were together, we had begun to see that um, in that sacrifice of Isaac, there was a substitutionary death. That ram that was caught in the thicket was killed instead of Isaac and God accepted the death of that ram in Isaac's place. And we'll remember, of course, that from God's perspective, Isaac did die. Um, we'll remember from the book of Hebrews that Abraham was convinced that if he had slain Isaac, then the Lord would raise him up from the dead, um, which he did figuratively, according to the book of Hebrews. Uh, and so God accepted that substitute as if Isaac himself had died. And we can find this whole idea of a substitutionary death once again, as we continue on through the scriptures and come to Exodus chapter 12. And we'll read from verse number 12, which says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So let's please understand that this was the means by which Israel was to be redeemed. God would look for the blood of the lamb that was killed in the place of the firstborn, a substitutionary death. And all that Israel was required to do to receive this redemption was to put faith in that which God had provided for this redemption by putting the blood of the slain lambs on the doorposts and lintels of their houses. Well, as God passed over, all the firstborn of Egypt and Israel died that night. But the difference there was between the Jews and those in Egypt is that God had accepted the death of another, those Passover lambs, in the place of the firstborn of Israel. Egypt, of course, those living in that nation, had no Passover. There was no substitute for them and therefore all the firstborn died. And what we'll realize and learn from this is that having faith in God's provision for redemption is all that is required by anyone to be eternally saved. And this was true for all those Old Testament saints who put faith in God's provision for their redemption, which of course in the days of the Old Testament would have been the sacrifice of animals leading up to and then including the Passover lambs. Just as we saw with Adam and the woman and God killing those animals to clothe them with those tunics of skin back in Genesis chapter 3. God provides the means of redemption. And of course, all of these animal sacrifices, they find their efficacy in the fact that the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. And for those New Testament saints and us who put faith in God's provision for their redemption, the death and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was crucified for us. This eternal salvation, always based upon death and shed blood, and it depends where you are in terms of history, before or after the cross of Calvary, as to who or what has to die in order to provide that eternal redemption. But it's always the same, death 
and shed blood. And if we were to back up a bit in 1 Corinthians, or go on, sorry, a bit further into chapter 15, verse number three, we would see this. Paul writes and says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And according to the scriptures, takes us back to the Passover lambs in Egypt. It takes us back to that animal that was slain in the garden to make the tunics of skin for Adam and the woman. And then if we move on a little bit into the book of Acts, um, we see there the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. And he had asked Paul and Silas, and this man of course is a Gentile, completely eternally lost, and he asked Paul and Silas, how he could be eternally saved. Acts 16.31 So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And I want us to be very, very clear what they said in answer to his question. Remember, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Well, let's just remember, of course, that what is not being said here, that if the Philippian jailer would believe, then all of his household would be saved with him. That's not what's being said. If the Philippian jailer would believe, and all of his household would believe, then they all could be saved. And what did they have to do? They had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ put their faith in God's provision for their eternal salvation. What did the scripture say? Do that and you will be saved. So let's please see from God's own words that all we have to do to be eternally saved is believe. And it really is that simple and does not require us to do anything else. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Well, eternal salvation then is the gift of God, and it's based on the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And there is nothing that we are able to do to be saved other than believe. Now, there are all sorts of strange and peculiar things that are taught within Christendom about the process of salvation. But according to what we see in the scripture here, it's very plain and very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. There is nothing else. You do not have to repent to be eternally saved. Because realize that if you needed to repent to be saved, you would have to do a work. And we've already seen from Ephesians chapter 2 that eternal salvation is not of works. Therefore, we have nothing that we could boast of to say that we were responsible for it. So there's no repentance necessary here. You don't have to say that sinner's prayer that people like to get you to say. And we would ask the question, where in the scripture, anywhere, will you find that thing that's called the sinner's prayer? It's not there. It's a construction of man and it is, has no part whatsoever to play in salvation of eternal salvation. It's just not there. 
there is no point in saying it. It is a useless and worthless exercise. And you certainly don't have to join a church to be eternally saved. You could be saved eternally anywhere. You don't have to be in a building. You don't have to be in a church service. You don't have to respond to an altar call. You just have to believe. And there's another one that is so common within so many places within Christendom. You don't have to be baptised to be saved. In fact, if you look at what happened with the Philippian jailer, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he was saved, and then he was baptised. And that's always the order that it will happen. Belief to be followed by baptism. It cannot happen any other way. And again, for the obvious reason, that if you were required to be baptised in order to receive eternal salvation, you are once again getting into the realm of works where works can have absolutely no place. And of course, anybody who would tell you foolishly, absolute nonsense, that to be saved, you have to dress in a certain way, behave in a certain way, speak in a certain way. All of this is complete nonsense. You don't have to do any of those things. The only thing required of anyone is just believe. And in conjunction with that, let's also please note what we find in Romans 11:29, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, once God has given a gift, the free gift of eternal life, he does not take it back again. John 19:30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And when Jesus said it is finished, he meant exactly that. And this word that's translated finished here in the Greek language has the idea of you could not complete anything as complete and totally done as this which has just been finished here. It's so totally complete that nothing could ever change it. He had done all that was necessary for unredeemed man to be eternally saved. And there was nothing else that remained to be done. This work was completed in time past and continues in its finished, completed condition into the present and into the future. And it never ceases to be completed. And what we will know from this, of course, and what I would really like us to make sure we're clear about is that once we are eternally saved, we can never again be unsaved, irrespective of what you do. Because as we could do nothing to be saved, we cannot do anything to become unsaved again. And these sorts of thoughts and sorts of notions that people have with this and they're thinking around the whole idea of losing our eternal salvation based on a total misunderstanding of the scriptures, not realising what Christ has done and the completeness and the finishedness of it. You see, if we could lose our eternal salvation, then Christ's work on the cross was not finished, as there would remain something more that had to be done. And of course, God would then be a liar when he says that his gifts are irrevocable, 
And let's just ask ourselves the question, is God a liar? Well, clearly, no, that would not be the case. And this is so helpful for us to realise because eternal salvation is based on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not able to look at anyone and see how they live, how they conduct themselves and make a determination whether they are eternally saved or not. It's not possible to know from that because as we did nothing of ourselves to be able to be saved all based on Christ's finished work of the cross so we can do nothing to show that we are saved nor could we ever do anything to lose that which God has given us as that free gift. The firstborn the Lord Jesus Christ has died and he cannot and he will not ever die again. That Red Sea didn't open up again to let Israel through it to go back to slavery in Egypt. There was no way back for them. Now, with all this in place in our thinking, let's ask ourselves the question, what has been eternally saved? What does that mean? Well, the answer to our questions are going to have to wait until next time, but only, of course, if the Lord is willing. Thank you for being here and spending the time today. God bless you.